Now, if you're here with us and you're not a Christian, this may be sounding pretty weird. You're thinking, why are these people trying to change me? Get off my back, Christian. Mind your own business. Don't change my life. Don't you ever tell me how to live my life ever again. Okay? In the words of Hot Rod. Um, well, I'll give you a bit of an insight into our brains. Okay? It's because we have heard about something we needed and we took it. And we want to tell you about something you need so you'll take it. And even if you don't want to take it, we still care about you and know that you need it, so we want you to have it. Okay? I was talking to a mate last night, and he said that his model of car, Mitsubishi, whatever, had to get recalled, which means they've got to bring it back and fix it, whatever, um, because all of that type of car has a defect where when the airbag goes off, it shoots shards of metal out. <laughs> Every one of them. So they had to bring it in because otherwise you'd crash and the safety thing would like chuck metal in your face. So if you're getting hurt in a car crash. So anyway, he needed to hear that. He heard it. So he went to the place that could fix it and got something done about it. Okay. Now, if you were his mate and you had a Mitsubishi Lancer or whatever it is, I don't know if that's Mitsubishi, but anyway, you had the same car. What kind of a jerk would he be if he didn't tell you? Yeah. And if he told you and you didn't care and you went, whatever, I just need to get somewhere, he'd still be a jerk if he didn't care about you and didn't still want you to get it even though you don't care. That's kind of an insight into why we think like that. We, we believe that all of us need Jesus to fix our relationship with God that's broken and we figured that we found out that if we accept and trust Jesus... We can enjoy a fixed relationship with God now and after this life. What kind of a jerk would we be if we didn't tell you about it? And if you didn't want to hear about it, what kind of a jerk would we be to not push further and care about you enough? But for those of us who do know Jesus, we try to tell others about Jesus, but it's just so easy to think nothing will happen. It'll never happen for my mates. And it maybe sounds silly there, but when you think about your friends, it's easy, you can get how we think that. What hope can we have for your mates trusting Jesus, if any? That's what we're going to look at, but like look at in Acts. So we pick up, we're about chapter 18 of Acts that we read out. We're about halfway through the book. This is a historical account of the spread of the gospel, this saving news of Jesus that we all need. And we've been following the gospel spreading through this guy, Paul, who's an apostle, and he's been moving from place to place, preaching Jesus. He's hit up some big cities. He hit up Athens, if you did that in G-teams, which was like the intellectual capital of the ancient world. And now, check out verse 1, chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So we're in Corinth. Corinth was in Greece. It was South Greece. You can check it out there. There's Athens and then there's Corinth. And it was another one of the big major cities at the time. It was the trade capital. It was the major city where all the imports, the exports happened. It was big, it was impressive, and it was packed full of people. If the ancient world was like New South Wales, Athens would be like, like Gossy High, where like all, the, all the smart people, the intellectuals, hang out and just like talk about smart things. All right, Pat. Um, and Corinth would be... City centre of Sydney, where just like everyone goes to get stuff, the commercial place or like somewhere in Newcastle where heaps of trade happens. It'd be a big packed place 
where people buy stuff, where people sell stuff, where people go to get stuff. It was a big place. And Paul tells us how he was feeling when he came to this big city. Now, he doesn't tell us in Acts. He tells us in a letter that he writes to the Corinthians later, in 1 Corinthians. And he says, When I came to you, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. You know? comes with fear and trembling. What was it about Corinth that made him feel like that? Why was he so intimidated? Why did he feel like he was so scared? Why did he feel like such a small fish in a big pond? Okay. I reckon it's two things. Two things about Corinth. The, the city was arrogant and immoral. So they were arrogant because they were just a big, impressive city. So they, they knew they were impressive and they loved that and they thought heaps about themselves. They were the smart people and they looked down on everyone else. They were... I assume this is... No, this is definitely not here because we're all here. It's like fancy boarding school kids, right? Kids together like kings and stuff. None of you guys are obviously here because you're here, not at boarding school. Um, okay. But they've got a big, impressive school. They're impressive people. They speak well. They come from nice families. And I don't actually know any of these, but I imagine they just look down on everyone and just think they're the best. Okay? Though I don't know any of them. <laughs> okay? Except for, yeah, I don't think I know any. But anyway, but Corinth had a similar pride and arrogance that I imagine these guys have. Okay? And they were just crazy immoral. So Corinth was the place where they worshipped a. Uh, Aphrodites, if you heard of that, it's like the Greek god of love and lust. That was in Corinth, where that, where that happened. And the streets of Corinth literally just had prostitutes roaming around. Kind of gives the idea of the culture and what's the norm in Corinth. And they were just heaps proud of the pleasures they indulged in. They were that kind of arrogant, immoral place. And so you imagine Paul cruising into this town to tell these big city slickers about this Jesus guy who was from some random place like a bunch of countries over who got executed and who all of them should change their life and follow. Like you can imagine how he feel and how small and intimidated he would feel. You'd imagine he'd just feel like the Corinthians are just going to laugh at him, steal his lunch money and shove his head down the toilet. Like he's nothing. I used to play footy. I used to do terrible Trojans through high school. Um, yeah. uh, I was never really any good at it. I was pretty small. I wasn't very fast, I wasn't any skillful, and I couldn't tackle. So <laughs> I was no good at anything. So I went on the wing because where else are you going to put someone if they can't do anything? Like you can't put them, you put them as far away from the action as possible. And that's where I lived every game for like five years. Anyway, I was happy with that. Um, but I'd go in there like the tiny, like so tiny, like I'm pretty small now, but I was heaps smaller. And we'd just like go on a game and like we'd walk on the field and you shake hands with everyone and it's like we play North Lakes that are all just like, big units every time. They're just psychos. I'm just like, I know what's going to happen. I'm just going to get trampled. I'm going to be like, move faster in this stampede. Like, I've just got no chance in this one. And you just imagine Paul feeling like that. He's feeling like little 13-year-old Curtis against the All Blacks. And that's where he comes in. He comes in, verse 1. And then, check it, verse 2 and 3. He finds some people to stay with. So you get that. There he met, verse 2, a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, the big Roman guy, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So Paul went to see these guys, and because he was a tent maker, like they were, he stayed and worked with them. So he stayed at their place, and then he, every week, you check it in verse 4, every Sabbath, 
every Saturday, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul goes to the main place where people are teaching about God, okay, the synagogue. See, in Corinth, there, there were people who believed in God. You see it in verse 4. There's Jews and there's Greeks in the synagogue. They both believed in God, but they didn't know or believe in Jesus. So verse 4, Paul tells us, he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks, tried to persuade them about Jesus. And in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy, Paul's buddies that were off in Macedonia, then they came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. So he's not doing his tent-making job anymore. And he's exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. This is what Paul did in pretty much every town he, started, he went to. He'd find the synagogue, he'd preach about Jesus to the people who already believed in God's, to the Jews, and you would assume the Jews, being the God-believers, would accept his message about Jesus and it'd be rock on, it'd be good times. In Corinth, the same as pretty much every town he goes to, the same thing happens. Check in in verse 6. They opposed Paul and became abusive. They hate what Paul says and they form some kind of angry, yelling mob and they start abusing him. And this happens all the time. You cruise back, it happened in Thessalonica, it happened in Berea, it happened in all those chapters before. Okay? And in verse 6, you see what Paul does. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Paul goes, you guys don't want to hear about Jesus? All right, I'll take my business elsewhere to everyone else. Paul's cruised into class and been like, hey, all my class, free slushies for everyone. And they've gone, cram it with your slushies, you big idiot. And he's going, all right, I'll take my slushies to someone else. Okay, that's pretty much what happened here. Yeah, was identical. But you get it in verse 7 when he, when he leaves. Verse 7, Then Paul left the synagogue, went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshipper of God. He takes his message to the people of Corinth. He leaves the Jews, he goes to the other guys, the city slickers. Okay, the people who, so not this Titius Justice guy, but then he went and preached to all the Corinthians, the people who worshipped Epaphrodites, people who paid the prostitutes in the streets. Paul goes to those guys with the gospel. And you can imagine the daunting task ahead of him. You probably feel that same thing if you're a Christian, you want to share the gospel with your mates. You just feel it. You're just one guy at a school, just with heaps of people. And where do I start? Will anyone care? You see in verse 8, Paul has some luck. Not some luck. God graciously saves some people. Yet Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. People hear about Jesus and trust him, and it's unreal. But I hope you still feel what Paul was feeling in this huge city. You can imagine him lying awake at night, way over my head. I've got people who are abusing me and don't want a bar of this. I've got a whole city of people who have just proud of their life, enjoying themselves. They won't want won't want to listen to me at all. They don't think they need Jesus. They think they're fine without me. You can just imagine him thinking, should I go somewhere else? Pack it in. Go somewhere less big and impressive. Somewhere where they're more likely to listen. Go to a small town. Let's be real. Not much is going to happen in Corinth. 
You can imagine that temptation. I'm sure a bunch of you guys can relate to that. I can do that. My mates, they're unsweet in life. They don't think about Jesus. They couldn't care less about Jesus. They're sweet. The amount of times I think, well, there's no use talking to my brother about Jesus. There's no hope. I'll just go talk to someone else. (laughs) My mates, they're not going to hear about Jesus. I'll go talk to someone else. They won't care. You can imagine that, that temptation. Check out verse 9 and 10. This is where Jesus speaks into this situation. He speaks directly to Paul. Look at verse 9. This is the big crux of this passage. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to, harm, no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. That's where we're going to camp out for a little bit. This is the big thing that sticks out in this part of the Bible. It's building to this. And it's teaching us this. God's chosen people are out there. You see it in verse 10, that back half of it. I have many people in this city. His people are out there. I'm sure you guys have all played Marco Polo before. I imagine you do. If you don't, you're in the water, you've got your eyes closed, you've got to try and tip someone in the pool, and everyone says Marco Polo so you know where they are. Um, We used to play this game called Rock. It was pretty much identical to Marco Polo. You're in the pool, one person tries to tip someone else, but no one talks. It's a silent game. So you usually just do a small section of the pool. Every time you're in, you get the same feeling. (sighs) Have my friends pranked me and gotten out of this pool? (laughs) Am I going to just search around all day and nothing's going to happen? just get nothing. Yeah, that's the same feeling. And the only way you can find out without opening your eyes and cheating is if someone who's standing out of the pool watching goes, no, nah, they're still in the pool. They're still there. And you go, okay, cool. I'll keep going. I'll find someone. Because <laughs> otherwise you're just standing in the pool prank going. That's what this word is to Paul. It's Jesus telling Paul, keep going. My people are in there. Go get them. Now, when Jesus says, I've got people in this city, my people are there, he could mean two things. He could mean there's lots of Christians in that city. It makes sense. I have many people in this city. God's people are in there. Or he could mean there's many people who aren't Christians in this city, but they are my people and they will become Christians. That's the difference. I reckon it's this one. And I want to show you why. I want you to come back with me a couple of pages to Acts 13. So we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Acts chapter 13. This is Luke who's writing, um, talking about a similar instance where people put their trust in Jesus a bit earlier in the book. Acts 13 verse 48. It says, When the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord. And get this. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Picking that one up. Everyone who was appointed, who was chosen, who was picked, all the picked, appointed people believed. When Jesus says he has many people in Corinth, it's the same thing. He's telling Paul, I've already chosen people who are going to come to trust me. And they're out there in Corinth. This would be heaps reassuring for Paul. Jesus is telling him, it's not just you out there with the big city just trying to make people Christians, which in the impressive place of Corinth would have been a daunting task and hard work. Jesus is saying, I've already picked them. I've already chosen the people who will come to me and they're out there. Just go find them. 
There are people who he's chosen who are going to turn to him. God's already mapped this out. So when it comes to Central Coast, your family, your schools, your footy team, Jesus has already chosen who will be his and who will come to trust him. So you can know people will come to respond to Jesus. It's not a no-hoper because it relies on Jesus. It's like if you, like an Easter egg hunt, I don't know the last time you guys went on an Easter egg hunt. It's been a long time for myself. Um, But if you tonight went home and went searching around your backyard for Easter eggs, you wouldn't have much luck. Okay, why would you? Why would you expect there to be Easter eggs in your backyard? Okay, but if you came home and your parents or whoever's home said, I've put Easter eggs all around the backyard and it's a late night Easter egg hunt, go get them. <laughs> okay, no, not besides the fact that why would you want to do that? You'd, just, you'd be late. Anyway, but you'd go knowing that there's Easter eggs out there because someone has told you, I've gone and put them out there. They are there. So you'd go expecting to find Easter eggs out there. You wouldn't be going, oh, I hope there's an Easter egg. Oh, there's never Easter eggs here. You'd be going, well, of course there's, e- there's never Easter eggs here. Every day I go in my backyard and there's never any Easter eggs. <laughs> you know? hey, you'd be like, of course there's Easter eggs. I've just got to go get them. Okay? It's just like that. God has told us there's people out there who are going to respond to Jesus. I've chosen them. So we just go out there and tell them about Jesus and they'll respond. Now, I just want to pause for a moment. I can imagine lots of you are probably having the same question in your brain right now. If God has already chosen his people, how's that fair? If some people aren't picked, well, that's not their fault that they didn't get picked. They never had a choice in that. Are some people not going to go to heaven because God didn't pick them? That's a good question. That's a good question. I think it's looking at this from the wrong angle, but So what do you think is? God choosing his people isn't him stopping people from coming to him. It's God bringing some people to him who otherwise wouldn't. Okay, so imagine I had a party tomorrow and I said, you guys can all come to my party. You're invited. I live at 8 Edinburgh Avenue Circuit, Wombrel. That's real. Um, Don't come over. No, please come over. You're all invited to my party, okay? And I say you're all invited and none of you come, okay? And then I call up some of the boys and I'm like, dude, come over. And they go, okay, because you called me, I'll come over. Okay? Is that unfair? No, you were all invited to the party. Me calling those guys isn't me kicking you out. It's just me grabbing some people and bringing them along. It's exactly the same. God choosing people isn't him going, cram it. Okay? It's not like you could want to trust Jesus but not because you're not picked. It's God choosing some people to come to him. Okay, a little different. Looking at it the wrong way. Now, some of you might be listening going, well, I ain't a Christian. Am I one of his people out there? You could be. You could be, and you would know when you come to trust Jesus. You could be, and you can be. Jesus has made a way that you can be. Jesus saw that you'd rejected God. He saw that you couldn't be on good terms with God. And he died to pay for your crime so that you could be received by God and be one of his people. You need to trust Jesus and turn to him with your life. And you are free to do that. And please do that. In fact, maybe tonight, right now, this is God bringing you to be one of his people to bring you to that point. Maybe you need to respond to this by placing your trust in Jesus. You'll know if you're one of God's people if you trust in him. 
And this is possibly God calling you towards that. God's people are out there. And if they're out there, it means they're going to respond to Jesus when they hear about him. Maybe not straight away. It's not you'll go, Jesus, and they'll go, oh, like, you got me. I was one of those secret Jesus people, okay? But they will respond to Jesus, okay? We won't ever know who his people are till they respond, but we can know he's chosen his people. They're out there. So there's two things we want to, need to take away from this that you get from the verses. The first thing, don't give up spreading the gospel. Don't stop. Look at verse 9 and 10, back in chapter 18. The Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I'm with you. No one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. It can be heaps easy to give up. No one's cared. It doesn't look like anyone's going to care. Don't stop. Since God has chosen his people, you can keep on speaking, keep on going, because his people are out there. They will respond. Keep going. I want to tell you a story, and hopefully it'll be um, encouraging to remind you that this actually is still playing out today. I want to tell you about my year group at school. I've probably told you all a bunch of this before, every time we get up here. But I went to Terrigal High School, a place where not many people really care about Jesus. Um, and at year seven, there was two Christians. Jackson, Phil, not me at the time. And they were really keen to tell other people about Jesus, and they went hard. And from year seven, what they didn't know, but God's there going, I have people in this year. My people are in this year at this school. And so they went out telling people about Jesus, telling people about Jesus, telling people about Jesus, and nothing happened for five years. Going to year 11, they're exactly where you guys are going, well, I've done this and nothing's happened. Okay? And you can imagine how that would be feeling. But God had people in that year. They kept going. Year 12, God brought me to trust Jesus. The end of year 12, Sam Warwick came to trust Jesus. One year out of school, Jeff Scott became a Christian. Two years out of school, Jack Trigg got saved. And now we're all still mates with the same guys from school. We're still sharing Jesus, hoping that more will be part of God's people. Now, this didn't rely on... Jackson and Phil that were sweet at doing stuff, God had already picked his people. They just went out and found us. God chose Jack Trigg way before Jack Trigg came to Terrigal High, way before Jack Trigg was born. God's people are out there. So keep going. Don't give up. And if you feel like you have given up, let these words from Jesus encourage you to keep going. The second thing, the last thing we want to take away from this, go hard and expect people to change. Expect people to change. Check it from verse 10. No one's going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Paul stayed. He went hard for a year and a half because God had people in Corinth. And he expected those people to respond to the gospel. And they did. You can read two letters in the Bible that are to the church in this city of Corinth. God did have people in this city. When we tell people about Jesus, I reckon we do it for heaps of reasons. One is because Jesus tells us to, so we do it because of that. One, we have good news. We want to share it with people. People need to hear it, so we want them to hear it. I'll tell you an awesome reason this bit of the Bible gives us. Because we expect people to change when we do it. 
We're confident that people will be saved. We tell people about Jesus because God's people are out there and they'll respond. If I was in Macca's listening to the radio down the road at Anna and CFM kicked on and said, we're doing our secret ninja challenge this week and our secret ninja is somewhere on the coast and if you find them, you'll get a thousand bucks. They're dressed as a civilian. You've just got to ask them who they are. And they say, the secret civilian is in Aaron and Macca's. And I'm sitting there going, okay. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go to every person in Macca's and go, you the secret ninja? You the secret ninja? I'm just going to keep going. You the secret ninja? And you know what I'd do if I got to half the Macca's and I hadn't found the secret ninja? I'd just give up. No, because they're there. I'll just keep going until I find them. Are you the secret ninja? Are you sweet? Thanks for my thousand bucks. Okay, because if they are out there, you go hard and expect it to happen. I'm going to, as soon as I heard that yesterday when it really happened, I thought to myself, sweet, I'm going to get a thousand bucks because the ninja's in here. Okay, and I did it. Sorry, that didn't actually happen. You all looked at me like, what? How? I was at Aaron and yesterday. What time was this? Okay, no, it didn't really happen. I was just kidding. Okay, but we can go hard because we expect people are going to trust Jesus. Okay, as soon as you know they're just out there to go get them, we can really crank things up a notch knowing that the more you look, chances are the more you'll find. God's got heaps of people out there. So expect to see people turn to Jesus, even if you feel like Paul in Corinth, like a little fish in a big pond that doesn't care about Jesus. Be confident. It'll happen. God's got people all over the place. To that question from the start, what hope can we have for our friends, for the people around us that they'll come to Jesus? What hope can we have, if any, Well, God's got people out there. We just go get them. So I'll pray that we'll go get them and that more people can be saved and that we'll be heaps keen to do that. Tell me you guys pray with me. Father, thank you so much for choosing your people when we know that left to ourselves, we wouldn't come to you. We turn away from you constantly and if you didn't choose us, we reject you all our lives. So thank you very much for choosing us. Um, yeah, please um, give us courage and uh, determination to go share the gospel, share this good news with people that need it. And I pray we'll do that um, expecting to find your people. God, I pray that anyone in this room that doesn't trust you, I pray that they will see this as an opportunity to come to trust you pray they'll talk to someone about it. God, we are very thankful that we can call you Father and that we can be your people. Help us to reach more of your people. Amen.